Commentators have said this is one of the most difficult parables Jesus spoke, first to understand why he would even speak this parable. And the version I have on the screen, by the way, is from the NASB. There's a reason. The NIV renders some of the words a little differently. Okay? You might find a little different version if you've got an NIV. It's in Luke 16. Some people call this the parable of the shrewd manager. Because you're going to see in a moment that Jesus kind of comments favorably upon what he's going to do. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down and quickly write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. You have a servant, he's a manager. Other versions render the word as steward. So we're still talking about stewardship. And in this parable, Jesus says, it's been reported to the master that you're stealing money or that you're wasting it or you're squandering it. We're not exactly sure what he was doing, but we know that he's in trouble. In other words, when the master comes to him and says, I want you to give an accounting to me, he's not really saying, I want to check on the books and see how you're doing. What's he really doing here? What's he saying to the servant? Yeah, put everything in order. You're fired. And the steward who's used to being in a position of management, a position where he's doing his master's work, is very concerned. Now, I'm going to stop there because I want to tell you the context of Luke 16. When Jesus is telling this parable, he's sitting at a Pharisee's house. He's been invited to dinner. And there are a number of Pharisees, probably a number of other religious leaders, of course, the Pharisees might have invited a number of kind of high society types, maybe, to impress Jesus with the friends that they had. But we also know that it was common to have just regular common people hanging out, maybe in the courtyard somewhere, trying to hear what Jesus was saying. So we know right away that he's probably speaking to people of some privilege. Another way to say it is he's probably speaking to people who have some money. They're used to being in charge of financial wealth. And by the way, this, this directly, he says to the disciples, okay, he may be speaking to a smaller group, so we've got to consider that possibility. So this guy's kind of shocked. He's about to get handed the pink slip. He's about to lose his job, and he says to himself, I, I, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I don't want to beg, so I've got to figure out something. So he starts calling in the master's debts, and I'm going to start discounting heavily. And collecting whatever I can. Kind of sounds a little strange to do. I mean, if you're wasting money or squandering money for your master, why would you go around and discount for him? Here's what the master says. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Now Jesus says... And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth 
of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Let's just stop there because there's already a lot in those words. Remember, Jesus told us a story. And he just said that this guy had squandered it away and then starts discounting heavily. And the master says, good job. You're a shrewd guy. Jesus doesn't go on in the parable and say, and the master was wrong for rewarding him. Jesus actually goes on and says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of the unrighteousness. Is Jesus condoning bad behavior? Is he condoning people ripping off their masters, being bad stewards? I mean, we just saw five parables we've covered over the last few weeks where Jesus is talking about how to be a good steward. What's this all about? This is where you get to jump in. What's going on here? Anyone ever read this parable? Yeah. Well, it's coming uh, right after Luke 15 with uh, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost child. And my guess is that um, Jesus here is putting in perspective worldly wealth as opposed to eternal wealth, that that you're supposed to use the things of this world that really don't mean that much, this unrighteous man, and invest it in other people's lives, invest it to make friends, invest it to spread the gospel so that they'll be there in heaven to welcome you in it. And you get that from make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of the unrighteousness so that when it, re- when it fails, you'll receive into your eternal dwellings. Let's deal with the first part. Let's go back to the parable for a moment. Why would this guy be shrewd for what he did? Why would the, why would the master in the parable, forget Jesus for a moment, just the master in the parable say, you're a shrewd guy. You were ripping me off or you were wasting And then you went ahead and heavily discounted stuff. That's a pretty good thing for you to do. Like most of us would be like, that's the last thing he should be doing. What's so shrewd about what he did? Can you can you figure out what's going on in the parable? Yeah, Kevin. Maybe he was charging people too much and then uh, punishing them too severely when they didn't pay. Okay, okay, that's a possibility. Anyone else throw anything else? Now that he's getting fired, he's going to need a new job, so he can maybe call in favors that you know. I reduced your debt. Now can you do something for me? Good. And even though the master might not have liked that, he was at least, well, that's pretty impressive. Good move for you. Not good for me, but good move for you. There's a couple explanations that people have about what historically might have been meant into this parable. Number one, kind of goes from what Kevin was saying, there was probably some heavy interest on the amounts they owed. So what the shrewd manager was doing was cutting the interest out and saying, forget the interest, just pay my master now. Other people say that by speeding up the payment, even if he cut it, he was still helping the master out because the master could somehow reinvest that. Other people point out that the manager was probably taking a commission and he was just basically cutting his own commission. And finally, part of it may just be that this manager was doing exactly what somebody might do in their position, which is saying, I need friends when I'm done. I want to be ingratiated to the people because I'm going to need a job next week. And these people will remember me. And that's why Jesus says, take the meaning of the parable. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. Does it bother you that Jesus is saying, though, that you should make friends with unrighteous wealth? Who's got the NIV? 
in front of them. What does the NIV render the word as? It doesn't say it. Yeah, what does it say? Yeah. So other versions try to get away from this because other versions are very uncomfortable with Jesus saying, you guys should use unrighteous money. And so they change the word to not unrighteous money like evil money, but just worldly money. But I think the word unrighteous is better used because, and we had this comment a couple weeks ago, and I think Kelly made the comment, I think. It's not money that's evil. It's the love of money that's evil. And what Jesus is trying to do here is say unrighteous wealth is kind of a synonym for worldly wealth, okay? So money by itself is not evil. It's what we in our heart do with money that becomes evil. So now let's look at the whole context. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the wealthy and unrighteous so that when it fails, what's it? What is going to fail? The money. When the money fails, you'll at least, they'll at least receive you into their eternal dwellings. Where's the eternal dwelling supposed to be? Heaven. Heaven. I'm still having trouble with Jesus' words, aren't you? Because apparently none of you have ever read this parable either, because you guys are all looking at it like, is this in our Bible? Because <laughs> these are tough words. Does this remind you of when you had to interpret poetry in English class, where it was like, like what is he talking about? He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. Let that sink in for a moment. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth or worldly wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Does that shed light on what Jesus is saying to us? Think about it in this context. It seems to me, and you might disagree, and that's what you're here for, that what Jesus is saying is, hey guys, listen, you live in the world. You are going to inherit worldly wealth. I'm giving you the chance and the gifts to make worldly money. You are my stewards with what's been given to you. And I'm going to be watching what you do. Because if you're faithful with a little thing, you can be faithful with a lot. And if you're unfaithful, then I can't really trust you. And then he says exactly what he's talking about. If you've been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, worldly wealth, who's going to entrust true riches to you? What are the true riches? We know that the Lord says to us that when we find heaven, those who have been faithful to him will receive some sort of reward. And he's saying it again here in another way. That if you can't even handle worldly wealth when I entrust it to you, why would I think that you could be entrusted with true riches, the ones that you're going to gain in eternity? We tackled in our series on heaven one of the most difficult concepts that went through our heads, which is that people in heaven may not be equal. There will be people who will rule over other people and other angels and different things. There's a hierarchy. And we don't like to hear that because our mind, we like a communist heaven where everybody's equal. But we learned that that might not be the case. And Jesus repeatedly talks about the rewards that come in the next life. Okay. But what he's really talking about in this parable is the riches of this life. 
So go back to that example of what you're doing in your life, what you're doing in your career. We are given the chance to make worldly wealth, to make money. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, meaning the person that you might work for or be a steward for, who will give you what is your own? Comment. How does the, like, the second half coincide with the first half? Because the second half is like, starting with he who is faithful and yada yada. Like, after that, it's basically saying, comparing that to the unrighteous servant or the shrewd manager or whatever, like, he was, like, he squandered money. And so he did all these things, and then all of a sudden the master says, oh, that was a good thing, even though you were unfaithful with very little. You were unfaithful with what was mine, so now you're in a good position. And Jesus even praises him, saying, well, look, that's what he should be doing. Are you looking for an answer? Yeah. <laughs> Only because the reason I, I poke fun at that is because that's what people have been debating about this parable forever. What you just are having a hard time with is the reason that people say this is one of the most difficult parables that he spoke. It's probably one of the reasons that most of you are staring at it like, this isn't the Bible? Because I've never heard anybody preach on this parable because half the congregation be running out the back door going, I don't understand what that guy's talking about. And we agreed that we were going to hit the parables hard, and that's one of them. And we got to deal with this fairly. Let me try to answer what you just asked. First, it goes back. You're pulling us back to why does Jesus believe that was shrewd behavior? Okay. The answer is, I don't know for sure. The answer is either it's because he sees a guy who's about to get fired and says, you either cut your commission, you cut the interest out, you did something to try to ingratiate yourself with the people that would tomorrow be your employers by doing them a favor today. What bothers me about that is it seems that Jesus is rewarding somebody who's still cutting or doing whatever he can. We could call it, for lack of a better word, scheming to get himself a good job. As a footnote, notice that it's the master who says you did a good thing. Not Jesus directly, but still, Jesus is usually the one speaking as the master's voice. Okay? But I think the greater point is not why is the, is the guy shrewd. The greater point that Jesus is trying to make is in this life, you're going to be employed by somebody. In this life, you're going to have the opportunity to make money. In this life, you are going to have worldly wealth. What I'd like to see is what you do with it. Because if you can't handle little things, worldly wealth, why do you think you can handle big things like heavenly wealth? And if you're unrighteous in little things, you're going to also be unrighteous in big things. Again, unrighteous being that your inability to handle money correctly. Does that come closer? He's tying them together, and part of it is, I don't have the best explanation. By the way, neither do five commentators I tried to look through have the greatest explanation of why he believes he's shrewd. But the greater point keeps coming back to faithfulness as a steward. And to me, when I read this, what popped out at me is, okay, this is a difficult parable. And I, I don't want to shy away from it and just ditch and go, okay, we're not going to cover that one because that one's too difficult. That's, that's not the ethic of this group. But what I want to point out to you is I think a lot of us are in that position. A lot of you were like me when I got the key to my office and I put it in the door and I opened it. And I was standing there thinking, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this job? You're going to give me worldly wealth, a little or a lot, doesn't matter. I don't know how many of you are going to go into full-time ministry, maybe three, four of you. The rest of us are going to go out and do something and get a vocation and work in this world. 
what most of us never think about, except when we're studying the parable of the talents, or maybe the parable of the watchful servants last week, is Jesus is watching what we're doing in our worldly pursuits to ask us, what are you doing? Can you be trusted with the kingdom riches that I have prepared for you? Can you even be trusted with kingdom possessions in this life? Can I put you in charge of everything from ministries to stewardship, even on earth? Because he says there, if you can't be faithful when you're using somebody else's money, who's going to trust you? Well, uh, what about the money that you work for? You know, isn't that your money? Obviously, yeah, everything's God, and that's kind of like a broadening statement. But it's like if you're working for a master, like you're earning that money. Like you're putting in your time, your blood, sweat, and tears, and you're getting paid for it. So how is he's not, it's not like he's just giving us the money, like we're working for it. The money that we're paid is the money that God, through the boss, entrusts to us as a steward, not as an owner, but as a steward. And so that's, well, that's kind of where you're getting that word. It's more of God's, and if it's like a work, working thing, you know, if it's more of a working thing, my boss would be like, do what you want with your money, it's your money. Well, let me start with this. Do you agree or disagree with the statement? Everything in the world belongs to the Lord. Sure. Everything, sure. including the money you make at work. Yeah, I mean, you can say that all bad stuff too, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it all is His, right? Yeah. I mean, the Lord says that. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So even the money that we make is His. That actually reminds us back to the parable of the talents, where the master says, here you're entrusted each with a certain amount, then he goes away. When he comes back, he doesn't just say, give me the interest. He says, give me back the money with interest to show that it's not just a tithe that we give to the Lord, some percentage that we go like, okay, Lord, I'm going to buy you off and just get you off my back, get the guilt off my back by just giving you a, a donation. It's like, it's all mine. But here's the concept of stewardship that's different than, because if, if I just left it right there, then you would go to work every week, take your entire paycheck and just give it to God. You donate some misery, be like, what about me? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to eat? And the concept of stewardship is that he's entrusted you with it, given you tasks to do, but he's not lording over you as to how you do it. That's why we looked at the parable of the watchful servants last week where the master goes away and says, you have control of the household, all the food, all the drink, everything in it. Use it to feed the other servants in the household. It's okay for the servants to eat and drink from the master's stuff and to use it for their own needs, not wants, but needs. But in that parable, what happened? The guy just said, forget the other servants. I'm just going to get drunk and eat everything the master left. And that's why he was beaten and dismembered when the master came home. And God would be upset if we charged him credit cards then because it's his money and we're going in debt. Absolutely. And if you listen to our series on money and money management, like I'm, I've sinned, I've had credit card debts. And I've run them up like crazy amounts, and I've had to spend half my life paying them off. But the fact that I did it doesn't mean it's right. Credit card debt, to me, is a sin. I mean, there are exceptions, like if you need it. I mean, we talked about permissible debt versus bad debt in that series. But yeah, if you're just in debt on credit cards because you want things, I mean, if you said, hey, my dad's in the hospital, he needs like a, you know, a medical payment I put on my credit card, I'm not going to fault you. But if it's because you're buying band equipment... <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Take that back. I'm in debt. I'm in. I'm forty grand. Right, but it's for student loans, right? Yeah. Okay. 
And, and during our series, I said, I believe student loans might be permissible. And the reason I say might is because some of us, and especially the students I work with here at APU, some of us, we go so deep in debt. And I went to Pepperdine, people graduated $120,000 in debt, and they were so excited to serve the Lord or serve the poor or do justice missions. But you know what? With $120,000 in debt, they were right behind me working at the big firms. Never saw a poor person again because they had to work off the debt. So they went to law school or they went to school with this great grandiose vision. And because of the debt, they couldn't actually do what they thought the Lord was calling them to do. That's wrong. Even if you're saying, but Lord, I'm going to school with the money. It's like, yeah, but you couldn't even do what the Lord asked you. Go to a cheaper school. Now, I say that with some country could probably throw me off APU, like, get out of here, you know? Like, we need to encourage our students to have student debt. Okay, I understand that. That's why I put student debt under permissible debt. I have two questions. The first one, like, right before, like, the first paragraph, the, after the semicolon, for the sons of the saints are more shrewd in relation to the Oh, people. yeah, good like, comment. Is that basically just saying, like, well, Christians are gullible and stupid, but, like, non-Christians know what they're talking about? I love that you picked up on that. Yes. It seems that what Jesus is saying is that the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Jesus has almost taken a dig. Now, now remember, Christians don't quite exist yet, okay? So he's probably taking a dig at the religious types, okay? But I don't think you can leave it at just the religious types because we also know he's calling the religious types like unfaithful. So... He actually is almost saying, and I'm not alone in believing this, that, that what he's really saying is, hey guys, the people in the world, they kind of know what to do with money. And they're better at it than some of those who are going to follow me. That's kind of, it sounds weird, but the reason I don't have a hard time with it is, it almost kind of seems okay with me if you look around the church. I mean, this may be a little controversial for some people, but have you ever noticed that like, People in the world, they know what they're about. They're about money. And they know how to make it. And they make it right away. They can't wait to get... I mean, the people in the world, are most of them, are ambitious. Their life is short. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in eternity. They don't believe in anything. They believe, hey, man, this is the only life you got. And you got to make the most of it right now. You can't be sitting around. you got to get going. And I almost feel that Christians have a different attitude sometimes. Like, hey, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, man. Who cares what I do in this life? I could be like 27, you know, with part-time job, playing video games all day. Who cares, man? The Lord doesn't expect much of me. What if they're really good at playing video games? So if I said, what's your spiritual gift? They'd like be like, video games, right? Yeah, the there's a lot of community in video games with people you haven't met on the internet. It's a harsh word, and some people in the room won't accept it from me. I'll just say a lot of people that I deal with in the church struggle with what am I supposed to do with wealth? Am I supposed to stay away from it? Am I supposed to make as much as I can? And the answer is somewhere in the middle of that tension, Jesus is saying, go into the world, work the worldly wealth, but don't keep it for yourself. The other parables make it clear you give it back to the master for his purposes. Yeah. I feel like that that's basically saying stuff he's all said before. You know, if you're faithful with your money, then you'll be given more and like whatever. But nothing after that says, well, how, what does being faithful look like? Because like, I feel like that's really what he's saying. That's what we should be doing with the wealth. Okay. Anyone want to weigh in? What do you guys think he's saying? You guys are thinking people. Holy Spirit speaks through you. What is he saying? 
what is the meaning of make friends with the wealth so that when the wealth ends, they'll at least welcome you into eternal dwellings? Yeah. Uh, I still think that it's uh, connected with the stories right before and right after. <clears throat> Luke 15 and, and searching after what was lost. And then also right after this is the story of Lazarus and, and the rich man. And, uh, and the rich man just ignoring Lazarus and living for himself. And I think make friends with, with your money means go out there, find people, invest what you, the time and the money. The best way to invest is going to college and do that. The best way to invest is, is working at a job do that. But make sure that you're investing it for the refund that is people. Anyone else want to add into that? Yeah, Ben? Use your money to help out somebody so that you, you become a body, you know, together. So that, you know, you have friends here on Earth, but even when you get up to heaven, you're still going to hang out with these people, and you want to spend your time wisely. Okay. Both comments about what this means is probably correct. I really do believe there's a tension in both of them. The reason I believe there is a part that has to do with evangelism is that we know that outside the parables, Jesus' heart's indirect teaching was, go to the world and preach my gospel and make disciples and bring people into the kingdom. That's the bottom line. So if you use worldly wealth to do that, great. That's even probably what you should be using worldly wealth to do. But I also agree that there is a feeling that if you actually do things like build community and make friendships, I mean, the great thing about the people in this room is whether you like it or not, we'll be together forever. Some of you are like, it's already been long enough, you know? <laughs> but that's the beauty of Christ. It's the beauty of life in the Christian community. It doesn't end. This continues forever. We just get the privilege of having part of it here on earth. So yes, when I get to heaven, maybe some of you will welcome me and I will welcome you into eternal dwellings, okay? But the main point still seems to be, and I think James is kind of hitting on it, that we're supposed to use the worldly wealth for Christ's purposes. The parable doesn't necessarily tell us what Christ's purposes are, but it doesn't have to because Christ has made his purposes abundantly clear throughout the Gospels and other places. So the fact that he's saying, in answer to Philip's question, make friends by wealth, you know, so that when it fails, they'll welcome you to eternal dwellings. He's saying, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of the unrighteous. I mean, just take that by itself. He's saying, use the wealth. Make friends. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's a bit, it's strong. I mean, Jesus is saying it's going to fail, and you're delusion. You're, you're uh, obviously not aware. So you make friends. You make friends with yourselves and your wealth and your, and they will fail. And then they, who's they? That's another problematic thing. Will receive you into the eternal dwellings, which is the they. People have debated: does it mean the friends, or does it mean literally God and the angels waiting for you in heaven? And and more people weigh in on the second one, and they say the they that are welcoming you are that you know. Okay, good. It's I mean you'll have a lot to write about. Because it took me a while to get through this, and I hesitated even presenting it, because some of you guys are like, what, what the heck? Let's just move on. I mean, this is too much. But these are the things that we had to wrestle with if we're going to really hit the parables the right way. Last comment on that. Uh, just if it helps, NIV translate it when it is no more. So okay. the money, not that the money failed in making friends. The context that you've brought up about Luke 15 and Luke 17, by the way, look, all of biblical interpretations about context. People take things out of context, they get the craziest things. All of Luke 15, 16, and 17 takes place while he's sitting at the same banquet speaking to the same people. So when he starts talking about the parable of Lazarus and all those kind of things, he is really continuing the same thought. 
So it's important to understand that this parable doesn't stand alone. Let me hit the last part so we can kind of, we've heard this before, but here's the context in the parable. No servant can serve two masters. Either will you hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. It's a truth we know, we've heard, it's a hard truth. That's at least one you've probably heard a sermon on at least. So that shouldn't be strange to you. And I think the truth that it comes in here, we've heard so much about it, but the simple truth is he's telling us you can't serve both God and wealth. You're going to chase one or the other in this life. But he's not saying don't make any money. He's not saying distance yourself from wealth because that would be contrary to everything he just set up. So a lot of times people preach on this by itself. And make us feel really guilty and weird. And I was one of those people sitting in a congregation thinking, I just went to school for eight years to make a lot of money. Am I supposed to just ditch that and go bang on tambourines in the mountains and dance around the fire? Like, what am I supposed to do? This parable answers a cry that I almost didn't even know was inside of me all those years. I was trying to think, I am going to try to serve you. Now, by the way, I did a horrible job. I did a bad job. I wish I could tell you that I went to work at a firm and made a lot of money and saved most of it for God and to make friends or whatever it is I was supposed to do. But I spent it all on me. I spent it all on clothing and cars and fun and just trips and all these kind of crazy things. And it took coming to a real discipline later on to realize that this money belongs to the Lord. And I still struggle with what belongs to me. I think Ryan's comment is very honest. What belongs to me versus what belongs to him. And the fact that I can even say that anything belongs to me shows that I'm not there yet because nothing belongs to me. I'm only supposed to take what I need and spend the rest of it on all the other people who need it in the world, on the people who don't know the Lord, on the people who don't have what we have. Just the saving knowledge of Christ. And I'm not doing a great job of that. Tonight, I wanted to speak to those people who aren't deciding just on a career in ministry, but are wondering, like, if I graduate or if I go out and I make money doing this, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? Some of the guys in my class right now that we were just finishing up in our MBA class, we went out the other day and we were talking about this subject, about how it's going to be so easy when you start making money to just start living for you. And how cool it would be if you had an accountability group of people that could hold you accountable and say, what if we lived like we did when we were in school for a while and saved away some of that money and used it for God's kingdom? What if we made it a lifelong discipline of living on what we needed, like stewards should, and saving up everything else? Not staying away from money, but actually making as much as we've been entrusted to make especially those of you who've been in majors and and have backgrounds and jobs that could make good amounts of money, and even for the people who make little amounts of money. That's what this parable is saying. So rather than hitting two of them, I'm just going to leave it here because it's a tough word. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to go back to some lighter parables, a little bit, ones that we might be able to understand a little better. But I think we need to spend some time focusing on this tonight. So I want to just kind of close in prayer right now for a moment. Before we go back into a little bit of worship, and just I want to I want to just leave a little bit of silence for you guys to think for a moment about what it is that God is asking us to do with our wealth. What can we do with what He's given us? Okay, and that's what I want our prayer to be tonight. Because I don't want to leave this as like, wow, that was tough. Let's just move on. It is tough, but I want it to stick with us and to bug us 
and I'm welcome you to keep talking about it with us tonight when we go out. And that's one of the reasons we got afterwards, so we can debate even more. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I want you to lay open our hearts right now and shine your light into the deepest parts. Because in that darkness, Lord, is the place where we covet money so much. It's in those places, Lord, that we misuse money because our eyes are focused on the joys of this world and the covetous nature of all the things that we want. Lord, you've already provided to us so richly in this country. You've given us our needs even before we were born, many of us. And Lord, we are aware that there are people in this world who don't even have food or medicine, don't even have clothing. People who have to prostitute themselves just to live. People have to sell themselves just to eat. And Lord, we are constantly looking for things that we want as opposed to what we need. Lord, focus our attention right now on the things that you've called us into in this life. Focus our attention on our education, Lord. On the vocations that you've allowed us to work or that we've desired to go into. Focus our attention, Lord, on the things of this world, the amounts of wealth, worldly wealth, Lord, that we could make. And give us a vision of what it would be like, Lord, to take great portions of that and put it to work for your kingdom. To build communities, to feed, clothe, house, comfort, love, and yes, Lord, even to take your word to other people. Jesus, you spent so much time talking about money because this was so hard, and you knew this was so hard for us. We need your help to do this because if you leave us alone, we're just going to spend the money. Lord, you told us we can't serve two masters. Can you help us to serve you? Because I don't think we could do it just on our own. Send your Holy Spirit into our decisions about money so that we might better serve you. Pray all this in your name. Amen.